0: If we would just do this, if we would just do that, things would be so much better. Execution would happen, profitability would happen. You, you, name whatever it is you're trying to do and it would happen, right? If we would just. You found the Leadership Lifestyle Podcast, where we talk about all things leadership because leadership isn't just what you do, it's who you are. So we help to make you a better leader, help keep your sanity, and make your team better so you make more money. So every week we talk about a different topic that helps you do all those things. So hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode. Tell all your colleagues and friends, and let's get a discussion going on how we can grow together as better leaders. Welcome everybody. It's great to be with you again. Listeners across America and around the world show continues to grow and just get into everywhere. It's so exciting to see. So if you think this podcast can help somebody, then definitely share it with them and subscribe so you don't miss anything. So why don't we? Why don't we have a, you know, a culture of execution on our teams? And even if we say that, what does that really mean, a culture of execution? I mean, this goes way beyond just creating prioritization. I mean, are you really, really willing to say everything stops if x y and z isn't happening if we sat down and said here's what we're going to execute on this is the most important thing out of all the other things you do that has to happen and if it doesn't does everything else stop or are we prioritizing our day and just saying well we'd love to get to x y and z so we'll try to do that or you know stephen covey famously said don't prioritize your schedule schedule your priorities and even when you do that sometimes You really can't get where you need to get. And you know why? Because very rarely do people do one particular thing. And no matter what their job title is, they rarely rarely do one thing. So even if you're in marketing, if you're in, gosh, I don't know, anything in your corporate office that you have to do human resources, product development, um, you name it, there isn't a one thing to do, but yet there is always the most important thing to do. So what really controls that is if you don't have the basics under control, that is what gets in the way of everything else. So when I'm talking about basics, I'm talking about and of course, many of you are going to say, well, this is kind of pie in the sky stuff, because of course, if you have enough people working there, if you have enough clarity on what you're doing is the day to day stuff, something that just happens on its own. Or is that part of, you know, this fire happened and that fire happened and you're chasing one problem after another? So if you don't have the basics under control, how do you galvanize the team for a specific thing, a, a specific execution piece, if they can't even do the basics? And as a leader, the question is, have you given them what they need to do the basics? So it, why does that matter that that happens? Because why are you doing things just, are you, are you doing things just to make someone happy? Does it really affect the customer? So, when you think about execution, why does it matter if I say, hey, we have to execute on this initiative? Well, why does that matter? Does it save the company? Does it drive revenue? Does it drive profitability? Does it take away from the other things we're doing? There's a a lot of great questions on that. Or, and like I've said before so many times, and I I hate to pick on middle management, but if a lot of times you you think you just create stuff to say, well, look, I'm I'm making something happen, but does it really align with the company strategy? Does it really align with what your customers are looking for? And customers are really looking for you they're looking for you to help them improve in some way some personal problem they're having some business problem they're having some product that they need that would make things better if they just had it so reverse engineer your thinking when you're talking about executing for the customer because what you don't want to do is just you create an amazing product because you think it's amazing but it doesn't really apply to any of your customers whatsoever you just think it's, well, if I make this great thing, they're just going to come get it. And within a certain space, that might be true. So like if you're competing restaurants, if you're competing for the best tires, if you're competing for the best clothes, yeah, everybody's buying those things and maybe you can do that. But if you really aren't doing something from the customer's perspective, why does any of that matter? Because the thing is, and i said this over and over and over, you have a finite amount of time to do anything. And it doesn't matter doesn't matter what it is. It could be executing on an initiative, or it could be the day-to-day stuff. It could be given an associate review, or do you waste a lot of time and a lot of energy because your behavior isn't where it should be, and it's not focused on the daily behaviors and decisions that actually drive the strategy of your company, and uh, you know, you're out of time. The weekends, nothing happened. Um, the, the Monday begins, and you don't know where you're going. All of those kinds of things. You know, there must be static behaviors that always happens when you're talking about execution and even before that even your day-to-day stuff has to be compartmentalized in a way that the static behaviors always happen so you are ready to do what you need to do so talking about some execution fails there's a great article i found in forbes september 2019 from jerome Krauser brink execution fails and i am sure many many of these will, will resonate with you and your teams if you've tried to do something so why execution fails number one un- Unclear communication, lack of commitment, inadequate resources, isolated actions, conflicting goals, unclear strategy, ambiguous responsibilities, silo behavior, ineffective culture, resistance to change. Um, by the way, there's a great book on that called Who Killed Change, another another great Ken Blanchard book, but resistance to change. We've always done it this way. Um, blown budget. You know, we thought it cost this and it didn't and we blew it and now we can't finish or lack of middle management support. I know I just I just mentioned middle management and man, I really hate to pick on this group, but middle management was really the bridge. Between the vision level and the execution level, so interesting how that still plays out that way. Uh, and then in a Harvard Business Review, uh, March 2015, Donald Sull, Charles Sull, and Rebecca Home you know, came up with a bunch of myths based on a, a tremendous amount of of study of many companies, many CEOs, um, and came up with five good myths on why execution doesn't happen. And myth number one: Execution equals alignment. Just because we're executing, we have this false follow- sense that we're rowing the boat in the same direction. This kind of goes back to what I said at the beginning of this podcast of are the little things taken care of. So in this one, it's trust first and then the team. So in other words, if you don't have the right behaviors and characteristics amongst the team members to believe in each other, trust in each other, have each other's backs, all those kinds of things. Just because you're executing on something doesn't necessarily mean your team's in alignment. So when you think about all the other things, remember we said just do it from Nike and why doesn't our team just do this? Well, this is exactly what that is talking about. That if your team doesn't have those daily behaviors and decisions that support the strategy in each other, then just simply executing on something just takes the bad behavior and puts it on your execution strategy versus your day-to-day stuff and you don't get anywhere uh, myth number two execution means sticking to the plan this is a number one killer of getting things done because you don't have the ability to pivot the goal isn't what you thought it was and there's there's so like, so many people especially if they have promised upward to their bosses. Hey, here's what we're going to do. Here's how we're going to do it. Here's how we're going to execute on this. And then about halfway through, you realize what you're doing isn't effective, but now you're embarrassed. You're like, I don't want to have to tell the bosses it didn't work, you know, and all that kind of stuff. But the data is screaming at you. This is not the way to go. But now you've made a commitment and you don't want to be that person that admits your commitment wasn't in the right place. And you know, you don't so you don't have the ability to do that. Um, myth number three, communication means understanding. And when I said when I thought of this, and you've seen it in movies a hundred times, and mostly as a joke, but I've seen it in real life sometimes. You you think about talking to somebody, you know, you speak English and they don't, or they kind of don't, and how many times have you seen somebody raise their voice and talk real slow? Meaning they're giving them the same communication over and over. But that doesn't mean that other person still understands. So if you spoke in a normal tone, like I'm speaking to somebody who does not speak English. And then I go, uh, I think about uh, Chris Tucker in, in, the, um, in the movie Rush Hour with Jackie Chan. And, you know, he goes, do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? Now, of course, Jackie Chan understands English. But just that mentality of, well, if I just keep communicating, they'll get it and that doesn't work that way. So just because you're communicating a lot doesn't mean everybody understands it. Uh, A great book on that called Winning with Accountability written by Darren Hardy has a great um, section in there about being clear on communication and expectations. It's a wonderful book to to dig into and get behind that. Myth number four, performance culture drives execution. Now you're thinking, wait a second, what do you mean? I mean, if you have a performance culture, shouldn't that drive execution? Because we just said in myth number one, execution equals alignment is a myth. So now you're like, but if I have a culture of performance, doesn't that drive execution? Well, the problem is they don't focus on a couple of key factors of behaviors that make that okay to execute. So they don't reward agility. They don't reward teamwork. They don't reward ambition. Everybody is so focused on the reward is going to be as if I win or not if I achieve this goal and that's it and that's where all of the focus goes. So when we say performance culture, that means they set targets and you hit them and they don't aren't really concerned how you got there. You just hit them and that's the basis of promotions and history and things like that. And we've talked many times in, in other podcasts about how you know you're the best salesperson. You're you have the biggest portfolio. You're making the most money. So therefore, well of course you should be. The, the sales manager, right? No. <laughs> if you don't know how to lead people, if you don't know how to teach it now, if you can take what you did and really teach it to others, that's a different story. But if you're just based on performance, you really got a hired gun mentality or a free agency type mentality. When you think about football where, Hey, I just need a really awesome wide receiver for a year or two, rather than building a team, a, a good team culture. So just because you have performance doesn't mean it's going to drive execution. It can be a really false Nomer, Nomer, if uh, you're not really paying attention to what's going on around you. And myth number five, execution should be driven from the top. Now, this one, you're thinking, wait a second, hold on. Some of these myths are, are a little hard to, to, to look at first glance, but we really start thinking about it because everybody always says that, that leaders go first and everything the leader does filters down. But in execution, you think about what you're executing on is what's important. So for example, if you're talking about an entire company strategy, well then, yeah, that has to be driven from the top. If you're talking about your, your your total HR environment, like what behaviors are acceptable and what are, yeah, that's top driven. But if you're talking about execution and you and you really start getting into specific projects across your company, across your division, that always can't be driven by the top person. The CEO might not be involved in half of that project. And if you're sitting there or even whatever level you're on, if you're waiting for a vice president to come along, but yet you manage one location or one department, you can't wait on them to show up every day to tell you, oh yeah, keep executing. If you own something, if you own a piece of your company's operation that you are accountable for, that you are responsible for, then you can't say execution is top driven from the top of the company. That should be driven by you. And so this is exactly what that's talking about. And another excellent book, and I got a lot of books in this this particular podcast to recommend. So if you haven't read them, you got some homework assignments because it's pretty cool stuff. But the book is simply called Execution by Larry Bossidy. Probably most of you that's listening has read it. But if you haven't, because it came out a while back, you really need to go reread it because it's probably one of the most realistic views of execution in general, in a large scale, on on how companies can pivot and operate that I have ever read. And I have actually literally turned an operation around following this book chapter by chapter. It works, I promise you. So pick up that book, Execution by Larry Bossidy. So just a few questions for how are you set up for execution? Because that's really the key beginning pieces. You know, earlier we talked about why we could talk all day why execution doesn't work. And I know in your gut and in your mind, you know why some of these don't work, that you don't really have a culture of execution, even if you have a performance culture, even if you have a high level culture of how you treat each other. Execution is kind of its own thing on how you get things done. And if you're not really set up for execution, you really can't achieve any of those things, no matter what else is really going on, because it's got its own little personality. So how, how do you make your goals too old, not relevant, not attainable? Who owns what? When you think about what you're going to do, who owns what they're going to do? And that's the emphasis. They really have to own it. And that leads to what is your accountability process? How do you go through that? Uh, whether you're holding each other accountable, whether, you, whether you're patting each other on the back for achieving a little thing, whatever that is. Um, do you have a team executioner? Uh, maybe that's not a very nice positive title to give someone, but do you have somebody that's driving that execution. And you're thinking, well, yeah, there's the manager, there's the vice president, there's this guy or this girl or whoever's got that title. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about this particular project, whatever you're working on, there should be a point person of who's driving the execution, who's keeping track of who does own what and what are they doing with that. So if you got a group of people together and you just instinctively say, oh, manager's got this, because there are people on your team that have they have different varying things that they're good at. And it doesn't necessarily, I don't know, shock, shock alert here. It might not actually be the manager that's the best at this, or the leader, or whoever's in charge, whoever is the highest ranked in the room. So you have to assign who's going to be the team executioner. And with that, are you allowed to fail forward? Or is it just fail and you're done? And that kind of gets into the myth factor of performance driven cultures, not just not necessarily executing, because can you fail forward and learn and say, OK, well, this didn't work. So we got to we got to retool and figure out what's going on. Or is it just if you failed, you're done and then you, know, you find ways to excuse it away or hide it? So what are your non-negotiables? So what this means is however you're setting up your execution, you have to have some non-negotiables of we're going to do this we're going to meet. We're going to discuss it. We're going to be honest with ourselves if something doesn't work. You have to make some non-negotiables on how you're going to do it. Not necessarily what the data is telling you, but how you're going to deal with it. So you got to celebrate small victories. So think about, did you make your bed today? Anything you did that's super small, that really sets up your day. Well, think about what sets up this particular uh, execution strategy. Do you have, if you happen to have conference room, you can use with a whiteboard in it. And is that the, the thing you're executing on always on that board, just just getting started, things like that. Are you setting yourselves up for those things? So for the leaders, execution matters to you. But is it out of greed or process of success or is it results driven? So when I say greed, I'm like, whoa, greed, what does that mean? You know, is it for you to look good? Let's be honest there's leaders out there that are doing that. They, they they tell you all day long about how their department did this and, and they led them through that and all those kinds of things. And really great leadership is not about you, but later it will be about you. And what that means is because you're focused on the team and growing them to get them to do the things you need, that's what makes you a great leader. So what matters to you in execution is, is it the process of success that drives that. And if you're just 100% result driven, you're probably not going to get there because I promise you, you were going to learn things through the process of execution that you didn't know before you started. And are you willing to, to, to be that leader? So a confident in what you do and be even vulnerable and saying, "Well, wow, this didn't work. Um, you know, the, the great quote from Thomas Edison was he didn't fail almost 10,000 times, make, not making a light bulb. He just figured out almost 10,000 ways not to make one. So do you have that kind of thought process? One of the things you got to do is make the awesome normal in how you approach things. And what what I mean by that is the day-to-day stuff is just normal. Like you achieve something and it just becomes part of everything you already do. Not this this high-level thing that, oh, we might hit it once in a while. So you got to make the awesome normal. And some of the other things you got to do as the leader and i'm still talking about the leader now and and of course it may sound like i'm picking on leaders but we do create a lot of our own problems just based on how we act so here's one called you can't have any excited utterances And I remember the first time I heard this term, and I'm a huge law and order fan, especially some of the older ones. And Sam Waterston, by far, was my favorite prosecutor. And he used this all the time when when a a criminal suspect would just blurt something out. And then just like, well, you know, you can't use it in court. No, it's an an excited utterance. They just they said it on their own, all that kind of stuff. But how many times have you seen that where somebody in a higher level position is walking through your department or your location or whatever whatever kind of company you've set up, and they just blurt something out? They're just thinking out loud. And the next thing you know, everybody's like trying to do all those things because they want to impress that person and they, they didn't want anything done. So have the clarity. Like if you're going to say something and you're in a high level leadership position to say, oh, oh, I'm just thinking out loud. Don't do anything. I'm just throwing out some ideas. You know, you have some clarity behind that because the excited utterance gets people going like you would not believe or something that I call and this by no means a dig on this company, but Baskin Robbins leadership. And I don't mean how do you lead a Baskin Robbins? I think you just think about a Baskin Robbins, a sign out front it says 31 flavors, right? And they always have a flavor of the month. And that always reminds me as kind of a metaphor of all the things you have to do. Like I said earlier, no matter what your job title is, you don't do just one thing. You do a multitude of things. So about 31 things or more, if you really start writing them all down, it probably blow your mind. But there's always a flavor of the month, isn't there? And that's what gets me is so many leaders are so focused, driven on something for a short period of time. And then the next time you see them, they don't even bring it up. And now we're talking about something else because they read an article somewhere or they saw it in some other facility and whatever the case might be. And now we're focused on that. You know, they read a book or maybe they listen to a cool podcast like this one, but they got a great idea nonetheless. And now we're doing this. And now we're doing that. And how many of you right now are are screaming right back at whatever listening device you were listening to in this podcast? Yes. Flavor of the month. I can't stand it. I actually had a, a boss I reported to that banned me from saying that when they would come to me and say, OK, we're going to do this now. They could see it on my face. Oh, flavor them up. They don't say it. And it's so true that, that that happens. And those are some things that as leaders, we have got to set aside when it comes to execution. Now, speaking of execution, now there's several different ways you can go through it, but one of my favorite books ever is The Four Disciplines of Execution by those folks over at the Cubby Group. Great bunch of of folks. A lot of you probably read it. And the reason I'm bringing it up is because they now have a second edition that is available and i certainly plan on getting it. And it's a great way to execute on a problem and really understand some of the things behind it. And it's going to have updated um, information and data on things that they've learned over the many years in this book has been out. So I highly recommend going out there, getting the, you might want to get the old version. If you don't have it, read that first, the four disciplines of execution, four disciplines of execution, get it. You will not regret it. I promise you. So let me end this particular podcast with eight steps um, to great execution of just at a high level, meaning they're not specific to a project, but some things you really need to do to focus in on how you can execute better as a team. Because like we've said throughout this whole podcast, just because you may have a high performance team or a great culture team doesn't necessarily mean you're going to execute the way you should when it comes to a specific thing you're trying to achieve. So step number one, just clear the table move everything out of the way you think about you know you're going to go build a, a big puzzle right and, and there's things on the dining room table you need to get them out of the way so when you think about clearing the table are you setting aside the proper amount of time to meet discuss learn understand what it is you're trying to do so you can really get started that's the key is you have to separate this particular thing from everything else going on. Number two, what are the rules? You, know, you have to define the successes large and small. What are we trying to do? What can you do? What are you allowed to do? Uh, what are you trying to create? All those things. You got to have some of those clear communication things, just like uh, myth number three. when we're talking about that Harvard Business Review article about just because we communicate more doesn't mean we understand. We have to get clear on the rules. Number three, who owns what? You have to be clear on what each person has to do, um, whether it's three person team, whether it's a 10 person team, whatever that is, everybody has to define their role and not just at the beginning, but this is throughout the process, because I promise you, as you go down this road of executing on something, you were going to learn things you did not know when you started. And each time you meet, there has to be a, a clarity on, okay, well, what not just what are the next steps, but who owns what and who's going to do what. Number four, are we playing singles or doubles? Now I'm not talking about going to play tennis, although I would enjoy that, but are we talking about the, the team level, what we're trying to accomplish, how many different things we're doing, uh, really getting clarity on the dynamics of the team, because you may have a single execution execution goal for a person or a group. It could be two, could be five, could be across multiple departments. You really have to figure out who all is involved and why they're involved. So you get all the answers you need, because you could, you you think about the silo problem, you could wrestle a problem down to the ground from your perspective, but then um, something is business licensing can come along and say, yeah, uh, that can't happen tomorrow. We need to, do." you know what I mean? There's there's so many different factors. So you really have to determine who does this affect? um, How many different Departments, do you have? Do we have representation from everywhere to get the great input we need? I'd hate for you to do all this work on executing on a problem. And then you come to find out there's something you haven't even thought of because you didn't involve everybody. And now you have to change what you thought or delay what you were going to do. Number five, choose your executioner. I brought this up earlier, but somebody on that project has to be the person that is constantly checking in with people. Where are they at? Are they ready? Here's what the next meeting is about. Here's what you need to bring to the table. all of those things. Somebody's got to be that point person and it does not always have to be the manager. Number six, set your execution GPS. So once you've got all the plans in a line of what you're going to do, so you've cleared the table, you know what the rules are, you know who owns what, you know, you know, who the players are. You choose your executioner. So where are you going? Where are you going? You're talking about what is the actual goal, the problem you're trying to solve. And the reason I say your execution GPS, because again, you're gonna you're gonna come across something you didn't know when you started and you have to be able to pivot. And so think about when you use GPS and something was in the road or in the way or an accident happened or they closed the street and you had to turn a left instead of right and your GPS is what? Recalculating, right? Well, are you you able to do that in your meetings when you're executing on something to recalibrate, recalculating where we're going? So be thinking about that, your execution GPS of where you're going and can you still get there? Number seven, this is for the leaders, the leader of that group, or if you are leading the people in that execution group, they're above you, don't miss this opportunity. I'm talking about how they go through the process, how they interact with each other, how did they bond, what, how did they overcome roadblocks, how did they think, how did they handle problems they didn't anticipate. There will be lessons you will learn as teams execute together on how they work together, how they resolved it or didn't resolve it or figured out this isn't going to work, we need to do something else. There, there is a dynamic you will learn about your people that you did not know before based on this particular project of, of a goal you're trying to achieve or what you're trying to execute on that you didn't know before. So leaders don't miss the opportunity of really discovering that and watching them go through this process and learning how they treat each other and how they really got to solve the problem and hopefully succeed at what they were doing and and know that they're winning. And number eight, last but least, rinse and repeat. And by this, I mean grow an execution muscle. The more you do specific things like this, the more of a muscle you will have for it. And you will learn things on on how to really achieve and grow from what you went through. Again, are you able to pivot? Are you able to get to a, a resolution? Are you able to solve that problem? In other words, this really teaches your team how to win. And as the leader, it's your job to walk them down that path. So what did we learn today? How did you grow just a little bit? Or more importantly, how can you help someone else grow? That's the whole point of Leadership Lifestyle Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Again, hit that subscribe button. Tell all your colleagues and friends and neighbors all about the show. Give us comments, feedback, things like that. We will grow together. And we will see you next week on the Leadership Lifestyle Podcast.